traffic was bad. Let's get to fucking. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. So you lie to yourself to be happy. There's nothing wrong with that. We all do it. We all go a little mad sometimes. Come on. One of you nuts has got any guts. Let's put a smile on that face. You're only as healthy as you feel. All right, it's time for another episode of Pop Culture Case Study, where we analyze pop culture from a psychological angle, a part of the following films network. And I've uh, finally, at like four o'clock in the afternoon, dragged uh, dragged Mike out of bed uh, as he's recovering from his I had horrendous yard life. work to do. Come on, <laughs> oh, it's more outdoor stuff. I don't like where that's headed. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. so this week, uh, because we we covered Match Point uh, with uh, with Mike's friend Jared, we're going to take a look at Woody Allen's latest, which is Cafe Society, which is probably playing in one or two theaters at this point. And I didn't really want to cover anything else that was uh, coming out this week. I wasn't about to do like uh, the original Pete's Dragon, so I think uh, I'm just going to do whatever the hell I want. Uh, Good so. for you. Good for you. <laughs> So we're talking Woody Allen. Uh, apparently, Woody Allen and Kentucky is that's that's my go-to. I'm only going to get people from Kentucky on to talk about Woody <laughs> Allen movies. That's it. Which which really is this wheelhouse, right? That's <laughs> yeah. That's a real strange demographic you're shooting for there. Good luck with that. Maybe she's stuck with Pete's Dragon. Yeah, we're going very niche this week. We have like eight people who love it, and then no one else. Uh, so Mike. Uh, from the best of your memory, because I know we both saw this movie a fair amount of time ago, uh, right. what did you think of Cafe Society? I enjoyed my time with it, and I had no—I didn't even really know what it was about. I mean, I think it's got a terrible title. It uh, does, especially for a Woody Allen film. Uh, the poster—it already seems uh, pompous going in. Like, <laughs> yeah, just—I don't know. There was nothing appealing about it. I'm uh, by no means a Jesse Eisenberg hater like yourself, but he also <laughs> Who is Mike. I mean, really. <laughs> I don't look to spend two hours with him, or I guess, well, 90 minutes in this case, uh, with him in a romantic comedy of any sort. Um, I will say this. I think he's a fair stand-in for Woody Allen because he's already got his own persona, which is fairly close to Woody Allen. Just neurotic. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yeah. But it doesn't feel like someone doing a Woody Allen impression that way because he's already defined himself as that guy. Right. Uh, I did not. I really, really did not like uh, To Rome With Love. I think their previous collaboration. I I barely remember anything about it except just being in pain as I sat there and watched it. (laughs) So this was better. Uh, I like the time period. Uh, You know, I was a big fan earlier the year of uh, Hail Caesar. So I kind of like just being transported back to that. Uh, sort of classic Hollywood studio system with Steve Carell gives us just a little bit of. It, it's not nearly as much as Hell Caesar, which gives us full scenes of yeah. the man Josh Brolin working with these people. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. It's not something. If I was to sell it to people, you know, this is not like you covered Match Point. I think Match Point was sort of a resurgence type feeling when it came out. Right. Like it was like Woody Allen not turned a corner, but he maybe people who didn't really watch his films would seek out match point right i don't know if that's going to happen for cafe society it's sort of it's sort of vanilla you know it's sort of casual and like well i mean like the title it's about like sort of hanging out with right. rich people it's everybody wants some for people that you and i will never hang out with <laughs> <laughs> it's so true yeah i mean it's interesting you bring up the idea of him as a stand-in because that's actually what jared and i talked about at the end of the episode on match point when we were talking about this movie is like i i'm a self-professed 
loather of Jesse Eisenberg. It's very rare that I enjoy him in a movie. And I, but I do really think like you think about him as a Woody Allen character, like it really fits. The only issue is I think the reason why Woody Allen, especially before all the kind of, you know, all the press about him has come out in, in years past, when you, you know, watched him in movies like Annie Hall, there was a certain like endearing quality to that neuroses because he like kind of was aware of how ridiculous he was, whereas Jesse Eisenberg kind of comes off as full of himself and full of neuroses, which is a really tough balance because like you is that can't... generational, do you think? Uh, yeah, I do. Th- I think you mean the idea that like neuroses has become more accepted <laughs> like or just more attractive, like you right. don't have to be embarrassed of it. Like I do think Eisenberg even stuff like Adventureland, yeah, right. he is the he's not Ryan Reynolds. He's competing with Ryan Reynolds, but he thinks that he can in a way. Which... Stop it. <laughs> Just... Exactly. And in this we live in now. And in this I mean, you know, in this movie is a prime example. You have Kristen Stewart and Blake Lively like competing over Jesse Eisenberg at a certain level, and you're like, Really? Is oh, that... poor you. <laughs> yeah. Poor fucking baby. Like I feel your pain, buddy. <laughs> the whole movie I did have these moments of like I'm Am I supposed to care about this character? Like, you know, no matter what happens, you're in a pretty good spot like right now. Like, I'm not I'm not really worried about you. But I will say, I think the thing that surprised me the most is how well Woody Allen handled kind of the the kind of presentational idea of like 1920s, 1930s Hollywood. Like, I think it was a really beautiful film to look at. And his movies usually don't fall into that category. They're usually very simple, very straightforward, very like, you know, it takes place in an apartment or on the city streets of New York. And this was very different, very big. And I really liked what he did with it. I also like, uh, I don't think this is a, this is not a spoiler because this is in the IMDb summary. I like the, the split that he has in the film. I like that it was two right. different worlds. Cause that's the other thing. He's very, it's sort of insular. Even when he had his, uh, European face where he would go off and make a movie in different, you know, he went outside of New York. It still was very much defined by, I mentioned to Rome with love. Like we're going to be in this location right. and this, they present, even though it's set in America, two very different worlds that Eisenberg's character goes through this sort of, uh, idealistic hope that he can break away from his family to go off to Hollywood. And he doesn't even really have any particular passions. I like that about the character. I like that he was not some like artist that was getting kicked around. This is not inside Lewin Davis. No, it's, it's like just trying to talent. get a job. Like, yeah, he has no, he's like, just something. Can I just do something? Like, I want to be close to rich, pretty people, basically. And I'm like, <laughs> so, I understand that completely. So it's like, I, I could picture that. you in this character for sure. <laughs> I feel like I, I, I really hated, um, and could not abide by because I could not picture myself doing it. Is there at the very beginning of the film, his brother sets him up with a prostitute with someone he knows in LA. Oh, like, I hated that scene and there's on ones, so many levels. And it goes on so long and it really does stick out in the film. Like it doesn't feel like it's really with the rest of the, like that type of comedy is so broad. And the rest of the film, I don't know. They don't really do gags or jokes in that way. It's like a- it's very situational, but this, and this poor prostitute where they're like, he can't talk himself into and she can't talk himself into just going through with it because she was late. It's like, she, yeah, <laughs> she's I insulted. Just, yeah. I mean, okay. So there's a lot of levels to this really. Cause any movie that Woody Allen does, you're going to have, you're going to have moments where you kind of question kind of the gender politics of it, given his own past and that you can really tell that this character is really a stand in for Woody Allen. And when you have a scene where, Basically, it ends with the prostitute begging your main character to have sex with her. It's like, guys, like this is not this is already bad to start with. It it defies logic that any man who called a prostitute, if they showed up 20 minutes late, would be like, nope, 
<laughs> like, I have my morals, and a, you I'm are a, late. <laughs> I'm a perfect gentleman. You don't have to tell me twice. No. Right. No, show up whatever you go. like. <laughs> show up tomorrow. It's fine. Traffic was bad. Let's get to fucking. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, but the way that scene ends, and I like the actress, I like Anna Camp a lot, and it just felt like, and it's like basically, I think, her only scene in the entire yep. film, and it, it was one of those moments where you just feel bad for her, because you know it's one of those moments where, like, Woody Allen calls and says, I want you in my movie, I mean, what are you going to do? Like, because, like, about one of every three or four of his movies kind of becomes this classic, so you never know when you're going to be a part of something amazing, so you probably just blindly kind of sign up for it, and then you're stuck in this role where you're begging Jesse Eisenberg to have sex with you, and that's <laughs> that's the memory you have of being in a Woody Allen movie, and it's like, oh, it's, it's... A really dark thought. I mean, I said that the scene doesn't fit comedically, but I do think it it's, it, it you know, sets us up with this character that really doubts himself. And that's what I really loved about the film was it, it is pretty much just about that idea of doubt. And in an interesting way, because I think most of the time we see that as something that you need to overcome to accomplish things. Like you, right. you need to, like the, the kid needs to join, you know, sing street. He needs to join, start a punk band and start doubting himself so he can like get with the older girl and, you know, <laughs> kids will love him and he'll be successful. And that's, you know, that, that's fine. It's a fairy tale. But this one, it's like, Woody Allen, it seems to be that he's proposing, you need to doubt yourself at all times because that's the only way you'll move forward. And then you need to doubt yourself even more. Right. And wonder if you made the right decision because that's the only way to like fully be connected to people. And I thought that was really interesting because I don't think that a lot of this stuff, and maybe this is why it won't be like a mainstream success. I don't think that there's a lot of resolution to the problems here. No. Like the only resolution there is without getting because we'll talk about spoilers as with one character, which is a definitive resolution. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's it. Right. I mean, I do feel like, I mean, I don't feel like there's anything like that stood out in this movie for me as like, Oh, this is terrible. Or I didn't enjoy it. It's like you said, you enjoy your time with it, but I think it, it's one of those Woody Allen movies that's just going to kind of fade into the background that you're never going to think much about because it doesn't offer – in terms of a Woody Allen movie, it doesn't really offer anything new. Like all this ground I think he's covered before. You know, you have you know, you know have your Woody Allen stand-in. You have like the, the older man, younger woman dynamic that's been done over and over and over again both in his movies and in his life. So it just it just comes off as like, oh, it's, it's kind of stereotypical Woody Allen. And the only thing that stands out to me is how well he managed kind of the setting you know i think the background of this movie everything else that goes on is really interesting and i actually i think my favorite part of this movie is Corey stoll who who plays his like mobster brother like i i'd watch that movie like can we just get rid of jesse eisenberg and watch woody allen do a mob movie like i'm way into that like the the rest of this just feels like rehash although i think kristen stewart was actually really good here like i, I really enjoyed her performance which which i think she gets this really bad rap because like she kind of started her career with the twilight movies but she's slowly putting together like a really interesting really good filmography and i think this is kind of one more performance you can add into that I think her bad rap probably tends to come from her uh, not even public life, but on the on the press junkets mm -hmm. uh, when she's giving interviews because she does come across as incredibly awkward, which is interesting because she is such a naturalistic actor. Like I never right. find her to give a false note and really like the last few years, any of her performances, you know, still Alice, 
Only uh, Snow White. Maria. That's the only time there's been a full snow. That's where she was. She was trying on a different hat that right. you know clearly she was not comfortable with. Um, so I, I really like the choices she's made, and I love when she she appears on screen now, which is is shocking, given how she started right. out. Uh, the Corey Stoll thing, I would be totally down for. I don't know if Woody Allen does any sort of you know shared probably universe not. like Kevin Smith <laughs> probably avoids it. Uh, but that that would be interesting. I, I have kind of a question for you though. Is, is it a fair criticism? Because uh, you talked about you know him covering the same ground with someone that is has produced this much work, isn't that some is that something that we put on films that they should be different? Like I, I don't feel like that accusation would be made to like novelists if they kind of went back over certain themes, but especially in films, I think I don't know if it's just the way the medium where you go out and sit for two hours right. and have one jolt of experience if you want something different, whereas you sit with a book is that is that something you feel with other like or or music as well, different albums and things of that nature. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I feel that way with music as well. I, I like my artists to kind of adjust um, to kind of their career and and explore new ground. Like I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I feel like you could have this same basic kind of story, but you could have Woody Allen really explore. Like what the what those relationships mean, like especially the the kind of Steve Carell relationship, because like that's I feel like that's very brushed over, like how fucked up that all is. And you just kind of move on to the next thing. And that's really it would be him having to point a finger at himself and what people think of him. And I think it would be a really gutsy move as a director. And I don't think he'll ever do it because he's very comfortable making his one movie a year doing whatever he damn well pleases. And I, I probably would, too. If I was in his position, like why, why stretch yourself if no one is going to push you? It's that kind of, and I think it's interesting with this film because it really is, it seems like his diatribe against fame, like how pointless it is, you know, but little does he realize, even if he ignores the fame, the fame is what enables him to make a movie of a year, even if they completely flop, you know? So it's, it's kind of this interesting dichotomy going on. I think there's, there's more for him to explore that he just kind of refuses to because it's difficult. Hmm. See, I, I thought there was a. I, I didn't look at the the fame aspect of it. I did look at it more with the, the personal relationships and uh, especially the relationship between the two brothers, Corey Stoll and Eisenberg. I, I thought was really interesting, and I I actually liked that it was a brisk ninety minutes oh, that yeah. didn't didn't go much further because I felt like I felt like it's it's wearing the guise of sort of a pleasing romantic comedy. But there's a little bit there's there's a little bit more sadness and just general unhappiness in almost every scene, even in the uh, courting stage. Yeah, there's that tinge of sort of world weariness to at least, you know, two thirds of this <laughs> love triangle. And I, I enjoyed all of that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. So uh, screw you, Dave. It's great. <laughs> uh, so let's go on to happier topics. What did you think of Blake Lively? In this movie, she's a presence man. She just—I don't know. She's not asked to. I mean, to be fair, she's not. It is, I guess, maybe slightly sexist in that she is just there for, um, you know, she's not given the Scarlett Johansson role from like Matchpoint, who no. is also a physical presence. Not a lot of depth, uh, though. Or Penelope part. Cruz and Vicky Cristina Barcelona, who they they come in for a certain look as the other woman, but then they're given a lot more to do. They're given a, right. a lot more. Uh, that's not the case here. Um. And I don't know if it's necessary because I do think that generally, and this is not to, I don't want it to sound like her character is dumb, but I think she is supposed to represent 
Well, like, she does fall for Jesse Eisenberg. I mean, there's okay, all right. There's a little there, stupidity there, there. At that point, he is you know he runs a nice you know nightclub and he seems his version of charming, which doesn't work for Ugh, me, but I would have preferred Corey, Corey Stoll in that <laughs> yeah. role. Oh been, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I, I think Blake Lively is so supposed to represent uh, happiness that is not totally earned. That is yeah. easy. And it's something that I don't think a Woody Allen character would ever accept. In this, in this case, Eisenberg does. There is that that doubt there that this should not, the pieces should not be connected so easily. Yeah. And I, I like that. And Blake Lively, she's stunning. And that that's the great right. thing about her is that you didn't start to really pick at the characters. It's like Jesus, Blake <laughs> Lively walks in the door, and you've got it. You've got a good thing going, and you still are questioning what if something else had happened. Right? And, like, come yeah. on, man. Ask Webb, you know, the fan, super fan of The Shallows, what he thinks of Blake Lively. <laughs> I refuse. I will not be having that conversation with Webb because I'd like our friendship to continue. <laughs> is this not a call-in show? Can we no. not call him in right now? <laughs> what is this? No, totally? No, this is not a call-in show. I don't do that. That's way too much work. I'll leave I just call in shot. random people to make you mad. <laughs> it really doesn't take much. I mean, it could be anybody. I mean, I'm sure if you tried a little bit, you could get me mad, so... All you'd have to do is lie. I've about not said much like. good about Jesse Eisenberg, so yes, I really thank goodness you you dropped the ball there. If you're trying to make me bad, yeah. I mean, uh, to be, I hate to agree with you, and because uh, apparently we we feel a little bit differently about Cafe Society. But would I've liked someone else to be cast in that role? Yeah, probably. I think yeah. I would. I would have liked to yeah. film better. Yeah, and I don't know. I've been shitting on this movie a fair amount, but like the the ninety to hundred minutes I spent, like I enjoyed. There were things that that kind of bothered me throughout the movie kind of in the back of my head but like as a film experience like it was actually better than i expected it to be like i was walking into a woody allen movie which is very hit or miss starring jesse eisenberg and i was like fuck <laughs> like <laughs> but you have to take that chance because with woody allen every once in a while you get like a classic or a movie you really enjoy like one of my one of my favorites is midnight in paris and i didn't think i was going to enjoy that at all you know, it was like Owen Wilson in a Woody Allen movie. Like, mm, I don't know. But I really love that. And I was hoping for a similar experience here. And just it never really reaches those heights. But it's a it's a fine movie. It's totally serviceable. It's enjoyable, especially for 2016. Like, it's probably damn near the top because it, it didn't actively anger me. So, <laughs> so I'll I'm going to say it. it's really good. <laughs> and that, that is a glowing review from Dave. It didn't actively anger me. So... If you can still see it, I'm sure by this point, what do we have? Another month before it's on Amazon Prime? I think yeah, it's an Amazon probably. Studios it is. Thing. Okay. Yep. yep. All right. So real quick, uh, let's go to spoilers. Spoilers. What? Read ahead. Spoil all the surprises. Not peeking at the end. Isn't traveling with you one big spoiler? That's classified. It's what? It's classified. I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. All right. Uh, so earlier in the in the uh, review, you were about to say something that was spoilery, but you stopped yourself. Do you remember what that was? They kill poor Corey Stoll. They, uh, <laughs> they knock him out. Poor um, Corey. And he's he's a character that um, he's such an enjoyable screen presence in this movie. Like, well, I, I I think that he's interesting because he uh, unlike his brother. And pretty much almost all the other characters, maybe except for Blake Lively, um, he accepts the world as it is and right. sort of accepts his place in it and the power that he has. And if there's an issue, then he'll take care of it and he gets punished for it. And that's just what happens. Like there's not right. there's not a lot of drama with him as far as I think. I think, I think one of my favorite moments with him in this movie is when he's in jail. 
uh, and he decides to switch face because there's no afterlife uh, in the Jewish religion. And he's like, fuck that. I want to keep done. going. Like, like, I love that. I do like purely just logical. Like, well, it's not really about faith right now. It's just I did feel like, you know, I felt like the Jewish stereotypes in this movie were even heavier than in Woody Allen movies from like the 70s and 80s. Like it was it was almost bothersome. Like if, if Woody Allen hadn't made this movie, like there would be a thousand think pieces about how horrible mm-hmm. this is towards Jewish people. But because Woody Allen is Jewish, we kind of have to go, okay, well, you know, he wrote it. So I guess it's okay. But there were some moments in here, especially, especially the characters, the main character's mom, where I was like, guys, like, <laughs> do we really need this? And it, I think it was funny the first couple times, but as the movie wears on, like that humor really wore thin for me. And I was just like, can we get back to whatever story we're trying to tell and stay away from the Jewish family? Cause that stuff didn't really work for me by the end of the movie. I mean, that's fair, but is is that just the time period as far as Alan, maybe you were calling back to his childhood and all that. Sure. I mean, because I think even if you go back to his films from the late seventies, early eighties, he's already commenting on those tropes and how, uh, you know, his his family would be viewed, or he himself would be viewed. Like he he makes fun of that sort of Jewish persona. Uh, here, I just don't think it's he's not able to have a character sort of stand outside of it, and make fun of it, really, because they're all just, in it. Yeah, yeah, they're in it. Um, I, I I don't know. That didn't bother me as much. As I said, it, it's weird because I couldn't tell people like, oh, it'll make you laugh out loud because I don't think I really did. No. I just found it. I found it likable and I found the dynamic, especially between Carell and Eisenberg, like especially when there's this exchange of power in a way where Steve Carell realizes this person who he's, he thinks so little of that even though he brings him over as a uh, shoulder to cry on about this mistress he has that he wants, Kristen Stewart. He really, even when he's talking to him, is not, he's just talking out loud, and he just needs someone there <laughs> to make him not sound crazy. So basically. I'm not talking to myself. That's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. Until he actually is paying it. He's paying very much attention. And I, right. it's, it should have been your favorite part of the film because you hate Eisenberg so much where he's looking at him like, this guy? Oh, yeah. I... <laughs> I was fully in Steve Carell's corner at that moment. (laughs) Like, I, I, I feel the same way as the audience. Like, I I totally agree. Uh, But I do think one way in which this movie kind of succeeds on all levels is that the best moments of this movie to me are the moments between Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart. And they have to be. They have to be for the end of this film to not make you boo. (laughs) Because if you don't enjoy these two characters together the end of the film where like he's with blake lively and everything is great and then he's like wistfully staring off into the distance thinking of Kristen stewart's character if you don't like them you're just going to be like oh you got to be fucking kidding me like look to your right look where you are but did you root for them because i didn't really find myself rooting for anyone in particular it was uh, normally in a love triangle scenario especially with the younger guy who's idealistic and had his heart broken and a married man who's going out with a much younger woman, you would think, oh, clearly I'm in the bag for our main character, the young guy. Nope. But it, not necessarily. I actually no. just wanted to see how it turned out. And I liked how abrupt everything was. Like, she made her decision at a <laughs> at a coat rack, and that's it. I actually really it. liked that moment, too, where yeah. I was expecting – it really screwed with your expectations. Because I was expecting this long, elongated scene of like, well, I really need time to make this decision. I don't know. And it was just like – Nope, going with the money. <laughs> like that was her, and I was like, okay. Like I kind of suddenly back to New York. Yeah, there, there were the dream dies. That's it. It's back to, back to. And I also think it's an interesting choice. You mentioned the the Jewish family. I like the you know Blake Lively. It wasn't the trope 
where um, there's actually a really great film, great film with uh, Joaquin Phoenix, I think called Two Lovers, where mm-hmm. it's about a family that sets him up with someone that they want. And he's having an affair with, I believe, Gwyneth Paltrow, who's like a neighbor who they would not approve of. I, I feel like it's kind of an interesting choice with Blake Lively because she's not, you know, the Jewish girl next door. You know what I mean? Like it's he's not still, someone they'd approve of. Yeah, right. And it, it so it didn't play into that that sort of stereotype that he was sort of settling for uh, what his life was always supposed to be. Like he was still branching out in a way. And cer- right. certainly even the nightclub scenario is not anything that you would have expected from that character oh, for him to somewhat not. adopt his brother's <laughs> life. So I thought there was a lot of interesting choices that, as you said, that played with expectations in cafe society. And I, the biggest thing that I love about it is probably what most people hate. They just don't, a lot of that stuff is just unresolved. As you said, it's just sort of like that was something that happened and I wish that was my life, but it isn't. Right. And what I have now isn't bad even, but I'm right. still lusting after something else. Yeah. You bring up this idea of like really not rooting for anyone and not even actively rooting against any outcome either. Like Mm. you're just kind of like, okay, let's see how this plays out. And I wonder how that changes if you have a more likable actor in the main role, because like, granted, I'm totally biased. Nobody hates Jesse Eisenberg. Like Dave hates Jesse Eisenberg. That's not, but I don't think he's one of those actors that people see and they're like, Oh man, I really root for this guy. Like that's not, that's not who he's been. Like whether you talk about his roles in Adventureland or more dark roles like Social Network, like, you know, he's not that guy who we're like, we really want to see him do well. Like he's a little, you know, he's a little just like he gets on your nerves a little bit. And even if he's like the tiniest bit charming, you kind of feel bad that he's charming. You're like, I shouldn't like what this guy has to say. So I wonder if you cast someone who has a little more of that kind of old school charisma, if you where you go as an audience. It tilts member. it too far. In one mm. direction. I'll tell you who would be better, though, who is someone that is not really at this point perceived as very likable, but I love. I know Miles Teller. Will. Is Miles that where we're Teller going? Would have been perfect for this. God role. damn it. Yeah. He wouldn't, he wouldn't have tilted it too far because he is kind of annoying. He's, you know, he's a little too cocky. He's and got he a kinda, punchable face. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, but man, would he have killed this part? Oh, I would fuck. have loved him in this role. See, now I, I like this movie even less. <laughs> I know. I know. God damn it. Congratulations. You made it worse. <laughs> Just trying to help out, Dave. Trying to move Eisenberg out and put Miles Teller in, but yeah. yeah. So I changed my mind. Don't go see this. If it's in the theaters, <laughs> now it sucks. <laughs> no, it's totally oh. worth seeing. Like it's, you know, it's. I think it's one of those for me. And of course, expectation has a lot to do with this. When you walk into a Woody Allen movie, thinking maybe it's a classic, but I think this is like an average, enjoyable movie. Like it doesn't, it doesn't push you too much as an audience. Uh, but it's certainly not bad. I've seen way worse movies probably just in the last couple of weeks than I have uh, Cafe Society. So still worth a watch if you're going to head out to the theater. It's really good. I, w- I plan to see it again. You do not. Maybe <laughs> when it's on Amazon. <laughs> well, like I said, in a month. I'll, I'll watch it again from the cover. Make it sound like I, you're actually, like, take my actually, money, Woody Allen. <laughs> Please. Let's be fair. I actually couldn't see it again. I watched it the first week and it's gone. So that's, well, that was it. I don't have that option. Yeah, well, it's still playing in in like real society. It's still playing around here, not not where you are. <laughs> You'll be here soon. <laughs> oh God, can't leave quick enough. <laughs> Should have done just the overnight flight and then right back out the next day. <laughs> really, I'm just going to be there to drink. That's that's really my whole goal. You can certainly provide. That all right. is all we do here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got the time. All right. Uh, so I. 
I even shudder to ask this. Is there anything coming up on War Machine versus War Horse well, that you want to talk about? Because I put out an episode. <laughs> and you were so anxious to come on today. You just love uh, podcasting so much. Podcasting right now. sucks so bad. <laughs> uh, speaking of podcasting, it sucks. War Machine versus War Horse. When we return, uh, you can subscribe on iTunes, follow on Twitter at War Machine Horse. We do have a Cafe Society episode that I recorded pretty close to when I actually watched the damn thing. Uh, and that one uh, is on uh, love triangles and Woody Allen films. So we talked about Manhattan and Vicky Cristina Barcelona, two films I really like and I think are perceived as big successes, uh, yeah. especially Manhattan. Um, so, yeah, that ended up being a fun uh, conversation. And obviously, you know where I stand on Cafe Society. So it's yeah, a very it sucks, enjoyable right? that's, episode. That's... Which probably means don't listen to it because I wasn't in pain as I was doing it. Oh, yeah. Why bother? That's <laughs> pointless. Speaking of War Machine versus Warhorse, in a couple of weeks, we will have one of Mike's regular, I mean, semi-regular co-host, Chris Maynard, on here to talk about Evil Dead. So you guys have that to look forward to, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I'll pass. Um, what, but what's, uh, I gave you a transition earlier and you just completely let that one go right past you. I brought up Miles Teller. Is there something with Miles Teller coming up? Oh, there is something coming with Miles it's Teller. Yeah, two, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, two weeks off. and I know. It's just gone. Next week, uh, we're going to take a look with Ben Zook and talk about Dog Day Afternoon to go with War Dogs, which, which comes out later that week. And the kind of connecting thread there is they're both uh, based on true stories that were published in magazine articles that then became kind of big stories. So, and I'd never seen Dog Day Afternoon before. So that was my, which is ridiculous. Like both as a film fan as a, and as an Italian American, the fact that I hadn't seen Dog Day Afternoon is like really, really poor on, on my count, but I've finally fixed that. So shameful. Do you know who the guest was on our Cafe Society episode? Uh no, Ben Zook. Oh, ben look at that! Look at that! That guy will watch anything. Bring him in. <laughs> <laughs> anything before like nineteen eighty five, just bring in Ben. He's he's got it all. <laughs> all right, so uh, thanks again, Mike, for joining me. Thanks for showing up again. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll take a little break and then bring in Britt for Fangirl Fixation to talk about the movies coming out next week. <laughs> All right, so once again, it's time for Fangirl Fixation with Britt. Hello, Britt. Hi. Is there anything you want to talk about before we get into the movies uh, that are coming up this week? You can talk about the movie we just saw, if you want. I don't think so. No? No. You don't want to talk about Pete's Dragon? Well, actually, I was looking at something, and it said that it was Disney's new classic, and it just makes me think, was that critic old enough to actually know that there was a Pete's Dragon beforehand? <laughs> that critic, I actually know the critic you're talking about. It's uh, David Ehrlich, uh, who's also a podcaster and someone I follow on Twitter, um, who oh. loved this movie. Um, I, I, don't, I didn't quite have that strong a reaction, but I think he is like in his late 30s, early 40s. So he's about my age. So, But he should, well. So well, he's old enough to have seen it. Yeah, I was like, then he should know about it. So like the, the saying it's a new classic threw me off. I think he's saying because it's like, I actually read his review and he talked about how different it is from the original movie. It's That's not fair. just like a retelling. Right. And he really loved it. So to him, it's a new classic. I wouldn't put it in that category, but I think it's worth seeing. Like, I thought it was cute. I thought it was, you know, I thought the animation was like... Good without being so good that you hit that moment where you're like, this is too much CGI. Right. I can't deal with it. Like, they kept it at a minimum. It was interesting to me that he was fuzzy. I was thinking about that through the whole movie, actually. Thinking, like, man, they really made their jobs difficult. 
Because, like, CGI-wise, it's way easier to do, like, leathery skin than it is fur that bristles and moves. Yeah. But I think they very clearly wanted to make him like a pet, like a dog. Yeah. Which they kind of set up with the book in the very beginning with this lost dog. Right. Like, it's very clear that's what they're doing. So I think they kind of had to, to, to like, make all that stuff work. Because I think the leathery skin of a dragon is a little bit more threatening. And right. You, and you want him to be lovable and something you can pet and, you know, be with. So... Yeah. I still miss the pink hair. Yeah, yeah, there was no pink hair, sadly. But but I thought they did a good job with it. Like, no, yeah, and Carl Urban had way too many clothes on, so thanks, Disney. It's true. Oh, this is funny. I'm going to have to <laughs> slightly embarrass you and tell this story. That, Great. Uh, because we are that couple, apparently. We're, like, holding hands during the movie. Like, just, you know, watching the movie. And then Carl Urban comes on screen for the first time, and I feel this pressure on my <laughs> hand. <laughs> like, 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 she didn't plan it. She didn't think it just, like, mm. <laughs> like <laughs> Thanks, baby. Love you, too. I'll get you back one day. Yes. Yes, I'm sure you will. Yeah. Uh, so you liked the movie? Enjoyed it? Yeah, watching? I liked it. It's worth watching, even like in the movie theater. Um, With children and parents and I was actually I was kicked. I was more annoyed. Well, that was from one of the parents and I'm more I, I was more annoyed with the parents than I was the children. Yeah, it's because a bad because sign. even when the kids stopped asking questions, the parents were still talking to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and, I, like I'll be forgiving of kids like questioning what's going on and like emotionally what's happening because they're, right. try- they're trying to work it out and their kids also and they- we went to a matinee of a kids right. movie right. so and they're kids and they're impulsive and they just say stuff you mean like that kid that, that, that like burped, burped. In, the, in the moment of quiet yeah i mean that's gonna happen but like you're an adult supposedly right. like you're <laughs> you're the older one in this group you should be able to control yourself and shut the fuck up but yeah. apparently not uh okay so the movies this week so the first one we have is a movie i think that was supposed to come out like like four or five months ago, but kept get, getting pushed back, and that is our uh, our retelling of Ben Hur. Um, so, what did you think of? <laughs> I wish people could see this: the glare, the sigh. So, uh, really looking forward to this one. Are you? I think yeah? I, I think I just want to watch it for Morgan Freeman and hope that he says something to the equivalent of "shoot this motherfucker." Yeah, I, I wish that, that were so, but I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, I also think this is. There's, like, a period in Hollywood history of, like, the epic, right? Where you're talking right. about Ben-Hur and Ten Commandments, stuff like that. Oh, you're not going to say your favorite movie of all time? Oh, Lawrence of Arabia? Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, but, like, there's... I just think... I'm not sure we can do this anymore without being, like... We nitpick stuff so much. Like, we know we know how the sausage is made now. So it's kind of like you're looking that at it... That is a disgusting reference. Yeah. I mean, you, you're looking at it and you're just... And you're trying to figure out how they did it instead of just being lost in it. Like, I don't know if we could make epics like they did back then anymore I think, and take it seriously. I think we could if they were new stories being told. Right, right. But they're not. And it's like, I don't know, if a movie is that beloved, like, why, why remake it? You're just going to have people... Like, looking at them side by side and going, this is so much better. No, this is so much better. And you're just, you're fighting an uphill battle. Do you think you're really going to make a better movie than the original Ben-Hur, the original Ten Commandments? Like, yeah, it's it's a tough hill. It's a tough hill to climb. Um, and it's like, I feel like this is also a movie that needs a star. Like, you can't do this with Jack Houston. Right. Right? Who? Like, nobody, you know, and then the second uh, the second person who's credited is Toby Kebbell, who played the orc in Warcraft. Like, these are not recognizable faces. So, you're going to have a tough time here. Wasn't the original with Charlton Heston? Yes. Like, huge, huge star. Like, that's what you need here. 
and they clearly just couldn't get the... It also just looks like a weird retelling of Gladiator. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing, is we have so much more cinema history now to kind of draw upon, and the kind of sword and sandal stuff. Like, we've seen a lot of that. So what are you accomplishing that's new here? You know, like, you're just you're just rehashing old material. Yeah. Was there anything in the trailer that, like, stuck out to you, that either good or bad? You know, honestly, I really stopped paying attention to the trailer about 30 seconds in. Well, I think the, the chariot race is going to be cool looking. Well, like, it's it's going to be, like, uh, technically really cool. Um, but, like, I just wonder from a story perspective. I just don't, like, I don't care. I don't care about any of it. It's also two You should have killed minutes. me when you had the chance. Yeah. yeah, we all say that. Yeah. I mean, what? what? It, obviously, yes. <laughs> And, and you know, it's that thing, anytime a movie's more than two hours, like, you've got an uphill battle with an audience. Like, it's got to be a story worth telling and something we haven't seen before. I hope their shields shed like that other piece of crap movie we watched. Oh, yeah, what was that even called? I don't even remember. Immortals or something like that? Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah, oh, where God. you just watch the plastic warble and fall off in the middle I didn't watch that. It. I just watched you twitch. It was <laughs> awesome. Like, <laughs> from a costuming perspective, you were quite upset. It was pretty great. It was like shit you'd get at a spirit Halloween store. Yeah, not even that good. Uh, so the next movie we have is an animated film, Kubo and the Two Strings. I'm actually really excited to see this one. Not just because yeah. I think the animation is really cool and a and different style that doesn't get used very often, but I think that it's good that we're tapping into folklore that is not white-based. Again, not something we've seen before. Right, exactly. Like, there's so many amazing mythologies and folklore out there, and I don't think it gets brought to a wide enough audience. So I'm I'm excited I, yeah. I hope it doesn't get too whitewashed, though. Yeah, I mean, it looks like... I mean, I'm looking at the cast here, and there's, like, kind of a little bit... There's a little bit of that going on, right? Like, Charlize Theron, Rafe Fiennes, Matthew McConaughey, but we also have George Takei in there as well. And some, you know, some names that I don't necessarily recognize, but are very clearly Asian names. Right. So at least there's a little bit of a mix there. Like, I think it looks really fun, and it's getting... Like, just phenomenal reviews so far. Well, you also lost your crap over the song to begin with. Well, yeah, it's the best song ever written. It's while my, while my guitar gently weeps, it's playing in the background, like, I'm in. So, anything else about the trailer, anything else you're looking forward to that, that stuck out? No, I mean, just in general, like, I was excited as soon as we saw the first trailer for it, the teaser trailer, so... Yeah, I, you know, my only worry is it's always tough in these movies where you're trying to balance this kind of high drama of myth and comedy... And you don't want to tip too much into the comedy because then you kind of lose the seriousness of what's happening. Yeah, I think they have enough, like, from what I've seen in the trailer, who knows when it's, right. like, full length. I think they have a good balance of that, though, between the drama and the comedy. And, like, actually making some of the characters a little more terrifying looking. Yeah. So, yeah. like, so and you it's... feel like there's actual danger. And I'm trying to remember the, um, I think this is done by the same, the same group that did like Paranorman and stuff like that. Yeah, so, I was going to say it looks very similar yeah. to that and like with maybe a little touch of Coraline in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's actually the same, but the production company did both of those movies. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah. All right, so our last movie and the one we'll be covering here uh, is War Dogs. Oh my uh, god. Starting, starring Jonah Hill and Miles Teller. <laughs> I'm so excited to see this because it looks so awfully stupid. Yeah, so it's supposedly based on a true story about these two guys who uh, basically won a contract from the Pentagon to arm America's allies in Afghanistan. And I guess, like, from the trailer, you find out the way they did it is they, they kind of undersold themselves and didn't realize it. Like, they, they gave them a how, bid that how, was, like, how far under? Yeah, like, 53 million under. under. Yeah. My only concern with this 
is that it's directed by Todd Phillips, who's the guy who did the Hangover series. And the first Hangover movie, I remember loving. And then, like, you rewatch it, and you're like, nope, this does not age well. And then the sequels were terrible. So it's just, it's like, can he recapture that magic? I don't of that even first think one? I saw the third movie in the Hangover oh. series. So well, you basically have seen it already anyway, because it's yeah, the same what, plot I in mean, a different place. Yeah, that's I mean, what I kept hearing. So, so that's my only worry. But I really do like Jonah Hill, and I really do like Miles Teller a lot. So I kind of wanted to be a Channing Tatum cameo since Jonah Hill did the Twenty Two Jump Street. That would not surprise me if that happened. Like. No part of me would be surprised. I, like, I just, there he is. I think that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, so what about this looks good to you? Because like just on that, like if you just describe it on the surface, it feels like, eh, I don't know if I need to see this. Like if someone like had pitched this to me, I'd be like, really? That's what you want to do? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's because it's just like that, that same sort of awkward comedy that Jonah Hill's been putting out recently that mm -hmm. I'm just like, oh, I know this brand. I know this flavor. So I'll totally enjoy parts of it. Right. Um, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy the whole thing. Like some of it looks like it's going to get irritating to me. So were there particular things, styles of things that you would find irritating? Uh, I don't know if I can really put it into words, which is not helpful for a podcast. Is it just like too bro-y maybe? Maybe. I don't know. But yeah, there's something about it just is just like, hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm just over white people. <laughs> I think that's very fair. There's like, a lot of white people in Hollywood, so. Like, seriously, to to my gay at work, pretty much once a day, I'm like, I hate white people. And it's because of the, I think it's because I'm surrounded by the stereotypical entitled Silicon Valley type. Oh, yeah. It's even worse. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I just want to see something different in movies. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's what it is. Is like, I feel like we've kind of already done this style of movie and done this kind of story. Right. And there's more out there to do. Oh, God, I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, this year's movies, uh, you would never know that. Uh, but there are more You know what makes me told. think of? You know what I miss? I miss things like, uh, oh, now my brain's going to die. Hmm. Hold on. I'll, I'll stay with you. Don't worry. Don't come back to me. Nope, it had Jackie Chan in it. Rush Hour? Yes! Hmm. I want more of those kind of duos. Yeah, you do. I believe that. Yeah, Without you really do. Okay. I'm tired of these two white guys going around doing everything. All right, so two out of the three movies you think might be worth watching. Ben-Hur, not so much. I really don't want to waste money on that. So I'm seeing Ben-Hur by myself. That's, that's what's happening. It's fine, I'm just asking. Well, I mean, you'll be in spirit with Kentucky Fried Chicken, I'm sure. So define alone. Oh, I forgot to tell you this. I'll just oh. put this out here. So apparently uh, the other Brit, uh, Mike's <laughs> soon-to-be wife, thought like we were even more in tune than we are because <laughs> we were going to... I'm trying, I'm trying to remember what movie it was. I can't remember, but you know, some movie we were going to review. And she like made the assumption that like we worked out the time difference and we were like walking <laughs> in the theater at the same time. Like he's Dave watching this right now. And he, and he was like... Oh. I, I mean, he's probably watching it today or tomorrow. And she's like, no, no, I thought you guys were, like, watching it together. <laughs> he was like, what? I'm glad I'm not alone in this. Right, That's like, good to know. When Brits unite. And my and my reaction to that was like, God, don't give us ideas. Like, no, don't. I mean, I'm actually surprised you hadn't. Well, no, I'm not surprised you hadn't thought of it yet. Yeah, I mean, you know, That's three hour time difference. That's way too much work. That's, yeah, you'd have to math. Yeah, forget it. All right, so two out of three movies would be good. Anything else you want to add before we finish up? No. No? Mm-mm. You good? I got nothing. Okay. All right. Uh, so that's it for this episode. The next time uh, we have a show, we will be taking a look at Dog Day Afternoon, 
Uh, and I just didn't even realize that that tied in so well with the movie called War, War Dogs. Dogs. The reason we're tying them together is they're both based on true stories that were featured like in in like uh, in magazine articles. Are you guys going to eat hot dogs while you're talking about it? War Dogs? I've already recorded that episode. Now I kind of wish I had been. See? But, this is why you need me. It is, it is one of the many Ideas. reasons. Ideas. Alright, uh, so until next time, I will be here to diagnose your favorites and judge you for what you watch. Gosh, get up. How'd they get that size? Golly gee. And then you got La La Land in December. I, you know, I, I I got the trailer with Cafe Society, finally. Me too. Yeah. Oh, a gorgeous trailer. Oh, uh, my God. It's perfect. Jump through the screen and yep. just live in that. Oh, yep. so good. Yep. Where'd you get those peepers? Oh, those weepers. How they hypnotize. Where'd you get those eyes?